You heard me say it, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that if you lead with identity, everything else will follow. But I've had the experience in my work of coming in contact with individuals who want what follows, but aren't willing to lead with identity. It used to bother me and I could not figure out why they did not want to lead with identity. Then it dawned on me that people think that doing identity work means that you're broken. When in fact, it has nothing to do with brokenness and it's not an attempt to fix you. Identity work is about coming in alignment with who you are and not fixing, but honoring who you are and building a brand that is most authentic to who you are. So if you're ready to leave with identity and become a supernormal superstar, visit YourSupernormal.com right now and let's do the work. Whom the sun sets free mm-hmm. is free how? Indeed. Mm-hmm. What is that word indeed for sure? The reason why many of us, the reason why many of us don't know that we're free is because we operate from the mentality of I don't know. <laughs> See, the son set you free. Therefore, you're free. Indeed, you're for sure free. But the moment that you open your mouth to say, well, I'm getting to freedom, you're admitting that you don't know. And am I manifesting everything that comes with my freedom? Maybe not. But first, you have to know that you're free. Because in knowing that you're free, you will become more and more of who you are. And in becoming more and more of who you are, you will manifest your freedom. This is not about coming into freedom. This is about existing as a free person. Many people define stagnation as not producing or being at a standstill. I get it. However, I would like to add a little weight to the definition and say that I may be producing. I may be moving. However, my production and my movements are disrespectful to the purpose that's inside of me to the greatness that's inside of me. If that's going on, that's stagnation as well. And that's okay. Guess why? Because I have developed a tool. I wrote a book called From Stagnation to Transformation. And that book was written specifically for individuals that feel stuck, that feel lost, that feel like they're just wandering in the wilderness, that feel like they just, I need something is just missing. It's okay. I want you to head over to www.cliftonpettyjohn.com forward slash transformation. There you're going to find a complimentary portion of the book. That's right. A complimentary portion of the book. I want you to read that portion. After that, it's going to ignite such a fire inside of you that you're going to want to purchase the co- your personal copy of From Stagnation to Transformation. So I want you to do that as well. Why? Because I believe that it'll give you a 21-day jumpstart to fulfilling or re-identifying purpose in whatever core area 
you find yourself stagnant in. So again, visit www.cliftonpettyjohn.com forward slash transformation. What's up, everybody? You are listening to the What Now podcast, where we discuss ways of effectively addressing life's most difficult moments. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to, welcome back to the Transformation Center. That's right. The Transformation Center, where we, through purposeful conversations, help you connect with that inner more than meets the eye. Listen, my name is Clifton Petty John. I'm the leader here at the Transformation Center. And again, I want to thank you for joining us, whether you're listening live or you are listening to the replay. I just want each and every one of you to know that we appreciate you tuning in on tonight. Now, if you're tuning in on tonight for your first time, you are in for a treat. We have Michael Weston with us. He's been with us the entire month. Our first session, we talked about freedom over feeling, and he left us with a lot to think about and not just to think about, but a lot to apply to our lives so we can begin to see that transformative power begin to take place in our lives. Now, here's what I want to do before I pull him up. I want to do our breathing exercises. So I want us to take a deep breath in, hold it, breathe out. One more time, breathe in, hold it, breathe out. Now, the reason why I have us do the exercise is number one, if you are able to complete that exercise, that means that there's breath remaining in your body. Therefore, purpose remains. And then number two, if you were able to complete that exercise, what you actually did was pull all of the energy that you have dedicated to your past and all of the energy that you have devoted to the possibilities of your future, and you have merged them together with the energy of your now so that you can now get the tools, techniques, strategies, principles, everything that you need in order to create a now that gives you that future that you dream, hope for, and imagine. And guess what? It's going to give you one that you haven't even imagined. So again, as I said tonight, I'm gonna not going to prolong the night. You're not here to hear me on tonight. You are here to hear Michael Weston. He is an identity strategist. He is the leader of the reform. There is so much that could be said, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to allow you to be introduced to him through him opening up, opening up his mouth. So everyone could stand up all over the building. No, I'm playing. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> help me welcome Michael Weston to the stage. <laughs> Michael, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm good. Is everybody still standing? Yep. Have your seats. Take your seats. Take your seats. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. But that's good for me. But you all, I put your <laughs> come on, come on now. <laughs> but put your hands together for the Lord, huh? <laughs> Listen, we had fun on the last time, and we'll have fun again on tonight. Yeah. Listen, we talked about a lot on uh, the last conversation. Talked about yeah. a lot, but. I, the one thing that really stuck out to me, and then you brought up something while we were backstage that stuck out to me as well, but I really want to hit how you talked about us learning to separate the trauma from the experience, because I, I told you even, I think it was in the last session and even off camera, how 
I really made a lot of decisions based off of the trauma that I hadn't dealt with from the decision. So can yeah. we start right there on tonight before we go into what it is we're going to talk about? Yeah, let, let me lead with saying uh, the things that I say are not uh, to discount, right, uh, to discount uh, anybody's experiences. Um, it's not to uh, put a, you know, tell people not to go to counseling. It's not to tell people, uh, as a matter of fact, whenever I work with people, I always tell them to, uh, I always have them sign a release of liability. And it says explicitly the things that I share with you are specifically for the purposes that they exist for, right? Um, they're not to be confused or construed with um, any uh, professional advice. Um, wh why am I saying that? I'm saying that because in specifically in religious cultures, in um, uh, 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 just certain cultures, let me put it this way, in certain cultures, there is this understanding, right, that we should spiritualize things, sensationalize things, mm. and we should overlook, uh, overlook the trauma, right? We should overlook the experience that we should overlook because, you know, God, the spirit, whatever, right, will will deal with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. God will deal with it. But remember, at the root of who we are is God, yeah. which means that we are going to have to deal with it. Right. Um, I, I say that to get to the point about people mixing the trauma and the experience. The trauma, and as I said last time, the trauma is the response to the experience. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you respond to the memory of that experience? Remember, I said that in God, I said God does not have trauma. Mm -hmm. But I said that there is memory, but there's not trauma. See, what happens when you go to counseling? What happens when you deal with a life coach? What happens when you go and deal with these things right on a personal level what's happening is is that perspective is being brought to you in order for you in order for you to shift the narrative of the experience so that you don't continue to have a negative experience with the experience mm -hmm. um and so in me talking about that and, and as it relates to freedom i'm talking about talking about it from the space of we are yes we're going to have to deal with it some people will have to go to counseling to deal with it. Yes, some people are going to have to deal with the coach to deal with it. Uh, some people are going to have to have conversations with family members to deal with it. Whatever way you have to deal with it. But the purpose that I'm talking about is coming to a space, however you have to deal with it, however you have to have to confront it, you have to do so in a way that the memory is no longer tied to the trauma where now you are, you can remember it, but not be traumatized by the experience that you had. And that ultimately is what freedom is, is you being able to remember, but not be in a place of resentment, not be in a place of uh, hurt, not be in a place of, because now I can look at that, that yes, it hurt me, but I'm not hurt by it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, I like that. Yes, it hurt me, but I'm not hurt by it. Yes, it yeah. hurt me, but it's not, not that I'm not hurt by it. And I like how you explained it um, because as I said before, sometimes being a literal person, we just grab it and say, oh, okay, so how, he's saying don't even deal with the trauma, but I like how you talked about dealing with it because 
like you said, sometimes we are taught how we can shout over this thing. We can praise over this thing. We can do whatever it is that we do over this thing. But some of these things are just going to be resolved. And that's, huh, and that's the thing that you're going to do. You're going to do it over it. Yeah. yeah, yeah you're going to do that over it, but you're not going to be over it. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I, I talked to Elliot about quite a bit, probably was the last four or five years now, is I was operating over chaos. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. I was operating over chaos. One of the things that I say about myself, the previous version of myself, well, not the previous, one of the previous versions of myself, because I've had several iterations of myself since this time. But one of the versions of myself, what I said about him was that he was a phenomenal leader. He was a phenomenal leader, but a horrible person. And that doesn't mean that I wasn't good hearted. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I was good at doing the thing of leadership, but I was horrible at doing personhood. Mm. Uh, why am I even saying that in regards to what you just said? Because we will learn how to operate over chaos. Yes. Right. We'll learn how to operate over chaos. And we think because we're we're presenting well and people are being helped by what we share that then we have dealt with. But here's the reality of it. I pastored people. People were coming to me for spiritual advising. See, a lot of people want to call that counseling, but you can't do that. That's a legal problem. People came to me for spiritual advising. People came to me for spiritual advising, and I was giving them sound wisdom. Uh, I told you that I believe in the past life. I was an oracle or something, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was giving them wisdom, giving the wisdom of God. Why? Because it came from God. But it was that wisdom from God that I did not realize that was coming from my root. And so I disconnected myself from that experience. And so I was giving them, I said this last time, I was giving them their liberty, but I wouldn't, I was not myself free. I was the master of telling you, you're good and not feeling like I'm good myself. But when you come into a place, when you come into a place where you decide not to navigate over the chaos, not to navigate over the trauma, then what happens then is that you will find yourself in a place called freedom. And it's not contingent upon how you felt about a situation. It's about how you dealt with the situation. Mm. Yeah. You hit, that, you hit that right there with dealing with it versus or being moving over it. And I think that yeah. sometimes we we have become, uh, I know I'm in my life I have become accustomed to just moving over it, stepping over it, flowing over it, operating over it, that, you know, I never took the time to pause to deal with it, to pause yeah. to deal with it. So, yeah. and, and, and that was why it was so important to me that we discuss the subject of freedom because you said something else last month, uh, last month, the mm -hmm. in the last session, you were talking about how some of us don't have a reference point for freedom. We don't have mm -hmm. a reference point. Mm -hmm for freedom. Can we talk a little bit about that? Oh, before yes. We, before we navigate. On? Oh, yes. Let, let me put it this way. I have never been to Paris. Mm -hmm. It is one of the, my goals by the end of 2021. It was my goal for last year, but we know how that went. Uh, <laughs> it's one of my goals by the end of 2021 to go to Paris. Um, but even though I desire to go to Paris, I've never been. And so because I'm a person who has a desire to be in a space called Paris, 
that does not qualify me to speak on Parisian culture. See, I cannot speak for Parisian culture until I go and experience it. And even in that, I can't speak for Parisian culture at large. I can speak for my experience with it. Oh, boy. Mm. See, this is why I was taught uh, when I when I started preaching that you you preach in and out of season when it's convenient, when it's not. That's that's what they were tell, telling me to do. And the way they translated that, the way they uh, uh, navigated that was you got to preach the truth, whether it is, you know, whether you know it or whether you're living it or not. You got to preach the truth. The truth is the truth. You got to preach to yourself. That's literally what I was told, what I was taught, the ideology that I had uh, with, with it. And I didn't necessarily always agree with it, but I said, okay, you know, I'm listening to people who I, who have been preaching for 30 and 40 years. And, and they said to preach in and out of season. So preach it, whether it's convenient or not, uh, no matter how hard I tried, I really could never preach stuff that I wasn't going through, uh, or that I never experienced. And the reason why I'm saying that is when I get on places now and I'm talking and I'm saying things, I'm not talking from the place of being instant and in, in and out of season. I'm going to preach it because of the truth. Now, I can only talk to you and tell you from my experience, because if it doesn't have if I don't have any experience behind it, there's no power behind what I'm saying. So I'm saying that to get to the point uh, of, you know. We have this thing with, you know, talking about I want, I'm free. Ooh, I feel so free. I feel so free. I feel so free. But you don't have a reference point for what freedom looks like in that particular. You can let me put it this way. See, when I when I first decided that I was going to leave the traditional uh, form and structure of church, what that looked like then and what made me feel free then ain't what I define it as now. I had a, my reference point. Oh, my God. My reference point for feeling free then was when I left. But see, when you go into something presuming that you know what it is, you'll never experience the, 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 the real the truth of it. Right. If I go to Paris and I already have in my mind what I think about Paris, I can go and have a whole different experience with Paris. But the way that I perceive and the way that I receive it will be filtered through the way that I think about it. When we think about freedom from a reference point, a previous reference point of something that we left and not necessarily something that we're coming into. And we have we are tainting the freedom that we could come into because we don't we're, we're often using an old paradigm for a new experience. When I say paradigm, I'm talking about the thought, that you, the, the pattern of thought, the way or the condition of your mind in regard to a thing. Right. And so when we leave this paradigm, it's also important for us to leave the mentality associated with the paradigm. It was important for us to leave that space and go into a place not knowing what to expect. That's the place that many people will call the unknown. And the truth of the matter is that is not unknown. The reason why we don't know it is because we're still basing the freedom off of the, what we off of what we feel or what we're experiencing be except um outside of besides or opposed to rather opposed to us coming into a place where we're understanding freedom from the place of I've never been there before and I'm going to experience all that it has for me see and in, and and grabbing hold of that concept of freedom and that understanding of freedom or that revelation of freedom we can begin to understand that freedom isn't as hard as we have made it. Yeah. yeah. We, we have learned to make freedom something that is, it's become like a ritual 
are something that we're forever chasing and we'll never, we, we say we're going to get it or we say we're free, but in the back of our mind, we're thinking, man, I will never be able to accomplish real freedom the way that I have defined it or the way that it was told to me or the way that I bought into. <sighs> Whom the son sets free mm-hmm. is free. How? Indeed. Mm-hmm. What is that word? Indeed, for sure. The reason why many of us, the reason why many of us don't know that we're free is because we operate from the mentality of I don't know. (laughs) See, the son sets you free. Therefore, you're free. Indeed, you're for sure free. But the moment that you open your mouth to say, well, I'm getting to freedom, you're admitting that you don't know. And am I manifesting everything that comes with my freedom? Maybe not. But first, you have to know that you're free, because in knowing that you're free, you will become more and more of who you are. And in becoming more and more of who you are, you will manifest your freedom. This is not about coming into freedom. This is about existing as a free person. And we saw that even with with slavery. One of the hardest things was to convince those that they were free. Well, and and, and it just parallels, you know, even to today, like the 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 the, uh, weight of convincing somebody that they're free sometimes is like, whoa, like, yo. And and I've been there before, where I was one of the ones that it took forever to convince to, to to convince that I was free. Because I had bought into the system. Yep. And I was going to say, and that's probably because you were comparing who and where you are or comparing your freedom to a previous paradigm. And when you compare your freedom to a uh, previous paradigm, you're never going to be free. No, never, never. And and I want to say this, uh, I'm, you know, going back to a point uh, about people uh taking liberties but not being free mm-hmm. yeah people taking liberties and not being free i want to touch on that because see there are certain things let me just put it this way i know not to say a cuss in front of my mama mm-hmm. right i know not to say a cuss in front of my mama because not for any other reason but she just don't like that right right but I'm not going to, and, and, and this is so relevant, you understand why I'm going here. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say, uh, oh, no, mom, I don't say a cuss. And I know I do. <laughs> See, people will go to extremes. Here it goes. People will go to extremes to prove their freedom. But when you put them in the heat of the situation that they really could prove their freedom, they fail. Um, and I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give a, a truth here that we need to look at with ourselves. See, there are people who are overly clean, right? Let's think about cleanliness. People who are overly clean, like everything got to be in order, everything. Oh, there's a particular way that you... But really, that's an extreme that they're using 
trying to prove that they're clean. When internally they're battling with, they're battling with feeling dirty. And so if I can clean externally enough, I can convince people that I'm clean, even though internally I feel dirty. Why am I saying that? Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because, because I've been that person. And anybody who knows me knows I like to be clean. But there have been times in my life where I would be overly obsessed with cleaning because of how I feel internally. And I'm not talking about 10 years ago either. Huh? Right. Come on. Come on. Huh? But I- I'm saying that I'm saying that for people who go to the extreme. But let me put it this way. There are some people who will claim freedom. Let's just say somebody who's not as tidy. Right. I'm going to put it that way. Somebody who's not as tidy. Right. And they go, well, I ain't worried about that because I'm free. But when really the untidiness is a manifestation of the inner chaos they're dealing with. See, there are people on both extremes of that. There are people who go to this extreme to prove that they're that they're free. And then there are people who say on the strength that I am just carefree, I'm free. But the reality is that your cleanness may just be a manifestation of the filth inside of you. And your untidiness may be the manifestation of the chaos inside of you. The thing is that there is no way and there's no let me put it not even way there's no reason there's no reason for us to go to these extremes because if we understand that we are free we have nothing to prove so somebody can look at me and say hey mike you're bound because xyz and i can say but i'm free indeed i'm free for sure because i'm not even concerned about you presenting bondage to me And that kind of helps us segue into what we're going to talk about because you were that that talks about taking on something that isn't yours. Yeah, taking on something that isn't yours, and and the title for this week is "It Wasn't Yours in the First Place." And I mean that can be so, you know, it can go many different directions. Yeah. So I'm interested to see where we're going with this. Yeah, because you yeah. know, for everybody, this could mean so many different things. Yeah. And, you know, anybody who knows me knows I love ambiguity because it opens the door for you to do some self-searching. But I'll try to bring some context to this conversation title uh, very succinctly and concisely and briefly, Um, because I I don't think I have to say a whole bunch for this one, because I think it's just going to speak for itself. Um, I I mentioned the other week that I wanted to talk about my friends, um, Jake. Uh, and Red, they're twins, uh, Jake and his brother Red. And uh, so let me just bring some context to uh, their situation. Um, they were raised in a in a household where the parents like so. So Red was an athlete, right? He was an athlete. He was overly what we would call masculine, right? He was, he was this hard dude. And so, um, uh, his father was a very subdued man, kind of easygoing, wasn't the athletic type necessarily, but I think it was because uh, Red was so athletic and stuff that his father really took to him. His father really just like really embraced him. And I'm I'm not talking about embracing him. Like, you know, this is my son. I'm proud of him. Like preferential. 
Um, their mother was, um, I'm saying was, but their mother is uh, the, the, the sort of person where um, where she is very vocal. Uh, if something's bothering her, if she doesn't like something, she's going to say something about it. Um, and she was, you know, kind of in terms of not necessarily athletic, but in terms of a personality type, she was very much like red. She's very much like red. Um, but she took to Jake, uh, because Jake was more like his dad. He was more subdued, quiet. Uh, he preferred to be introspective and all this stuff. Um, and a lot of times for people who are, uh, people who are like loud and big and energetic, they take the people who are quiet or, or who are subdued. Why? Because a lot of times that makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. And also uh, sometimes subconsciously or maybe even consciously, sometimes it sets up the stage for people to continue to be the life of the party or to continue to be the one that people look at. Right. And so, this was like a dynamic where the mother who is, you know, a little more outgoing, a little more outspoken took to the twin who was uh, subdued and quiet and introspective and to himself, uh, as we would call introverted. And then the father who was like that uh, took to the more outspoken, more athletic, more outgoing son, which is rare. Um, and so it created a weird dynamic. But if you look at this, you look at the dad, right? You look at the dad and you look at Jake. And I said that they had similar, they had similar uh, mannerisms, similar uh, temperaments. And a lot of times people look at other people with the same temperament as them or the same characteristics as them. And they begin to resent them. But it's actually a reflection of what's going on with them. And I'm not attempting to diagnose their father, but I, I'm I'm saying this to make a point. Um, and then the mother, who was a little bit more outgoing, she noticed this with Red. And so when she saw this with Red, it probably could have made her a little resentful. And so when you have somebody, a parent who uh, favors another child over another and they have resentment toward the child, the child who they're more like, then it creates this thing that creates this animosity. Now, this is what's interesting to me. So if their mother liked Jake because he was subdued and Jake was like his dad, then I said, well, why not be so whatever about the dad? Uh, if if uh, the fa their father was so crazy about uh, somebody who's outgoing and all this stuff and Red was is outgoing and, and goes and is real, you know, uh, vocal and all this stuff. Why not then take to the mother? Uh, because what you all prefer, right, is right in front of you, was in, in front of you before the kids showed up. So why then are you all not coming together because you recognize with them what you love and you recognize with the other what you love? Well, the reason is perhaps they were fine with that until who they are showed up. 
until the other child who they quote unquote resented. I'm not saying they resent them, but I'm just saying for the purposes of this conversation, the other child they resented, right, showed up as a reflection of them. And so when they showed up, then it made them not just work resent themselves, but it made them resent the other person. I want you to come back on because I want to hear your thoughts on that before I continue. I mean, it, it makes so much sense as you were sitting there and I, as you were uh, talking about it. I was like, whoa, like I can relate that not just to a parent children type relationship, but yeah. even in a circle of friendships or, you know, even if it's work relationships or business relationships, you can relate all of that to it. Like you guys could get along, but now it's like the thing that you once embraced. Now you seem to hate now. So yeah, I, I, that's, that was my thoughts on it. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm drawing this picture. Uh, I'm drawing this picture because just throughout their lives, they were very much up under the influence of their parents. Think about this. So just in society, uh, in a family setting, specifically a traditional family setting, which they, their family is very traditional. In a traditional family setting, um, it is like the father, the mother, the children, right? And oftentimes women have been treated as subservient, right? And so when children are, I mean, when women rather are treated subservient, sometimes they are trying to grasp for power in some sense. And so what better way to do it than to utilize children? And we've seen this so many times, right? We've seen this so many times and I hope nobody thinks I'm, I, I'm demonizing my family, my, uh, my friend's family. I'm not, I'm not getting it. That I'm just making a point. When, when that happens, a lot of times they'll use children as leverage to get what they want because you can be controlled for me to get what I want. Uh, but let's go to the side of the father. Think about the father. The father preferred red. And I'm saying all this just to lay a foundation for what, what I'm going to share tonight. The father loves red, but the father's a very subdued man. And so in order to have a voice, you take to the child with the voice so that you can combat what you feel like you lack. And so when you draw this dynamic, it's not really you betting the child against the other child is you betting yourself against the other parent. Yeah. Yeah. And the children became, as people would say, the pawns in this, this whole plot, this whole scheme. And as a result, they found themselves the victims of the parents' internal traumas, dialogues, experiences, narratives. They found themselves the pawns in there and they found themselves the victims of this. Um, what happens in that is if you find yourself involved in other people's traumas, other people's unsettling, right? You will ultimately lose your freedom of choice, not because you don't have it, but, but because you give it away. Now, it's easy to understand in a parent-child situation how that could happen so easily. You're my parent, therefore I must do what you want to do. Uh, but um, Red ended up getting married. And who he married 
was who he married was like horrible to his parents, specifically to the mother. Who he married was horrible to the mother. But you did that because there's some resentment there. And you know, in situations like that, sometimes the father or the mother will say stuff to the kids about the other one. And so you're caught between, I love them, I care about them, but I know this about them. And so it puts a strain, not only not only the relationship between you and the parent, but you on the other child. Why? Because the parent has favorited them. Let me make this make sense to situations outside of this. I have found myself in life in situations. I'm what you know people will call an empath, right? What is an empath? Somebody who can feel somebody else's experience. And so I find myself looking at a situation going, wow, I feel bad for them. Wow, I can feel what they're going through. And so what do I do? I, enter, I insert myself into that situation. But oftentimes, I found it difficult for me to escape the situation because I got involved. And so when I found myself in a space where I could not let the situation go and I found myself involved, I found myself overextending myself for the situation. Uh, let me put it this way. Let me let me go to my professional. Um, you 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 uh, mentioned about you know what I do as an identity strategist. So previously, I worked as a brand manager. Um, you know, worked on the aesthetic of a brand, the messaging of a brand, all this stuff. Um, and I was doing that for several years. I worked kind of like marketing, then I transitioned to branding, and I did that for many years. Well, I developed these really weird codependent relationships with clients where I would get involved with their business so much so that I was doing stuff and making opinions, about, giving opinions about stuff, providing services, stuff that were not in our service agreement that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And so I'm supposed to be helping you with your branding, but how am I trying to help you uh, fill out your uh, 501c3 papers or how am I supposed, you know, how am I here trying to help you fill out your business, uh, get your business license or how do I, no, that's not what I'm here for. But I found myself in that space uh, involving myself, creating these codependent relationships, because what I found out is later on that the reason why I was inserting myself in that and doing so much. And I'm, I'm telling you, I was staying up till four o'clock in the morning, uh, not getting any sleep, not resting, not not feeling OK, all this stuff, trying to do this work. But what I discovered is I was doing all that because I didn't feel valuable. Uh Oh, I didn't feel valuable. And because I didn't feel valuable, I extended myself in other people's business, trying to find a way to be of help to them so that I could feel valuable. But even in that, I did not feel valuable. <laughs> so just imagine having a brother who the one of your parents prefers. And so you're constantly trying to prove your values to that parent. Uh, uh, that will you will find yourself in a space where now you're trying to get the approval of one parent, but trying to keep the approval of the other. See. This is why a lot of people can't get free because they said, I left that relationship. I left that church. I left that job. I left that system. But the truth of the matter is you're still living your life trying to get validated by trying to be seen valuable from those places that you said that you left. 
And that's not always just a, a physical place. Sometimes it's an internal place where you say, I'm, I am no longer putting myself in a position where I'm extending myself uh, for other people, but there's still something in you that wants validation from that space, that place of satisfaction. Because sometimes we think that, again, that feeling, that feeling, that feeling of satisfaction that you get from doing stuff for people, we think we do that because we love to help. And really, you're doing that because it makes you feel valuable. It makes you feel free. And so what I'm really getting at and I'm drawing, drawing this narrative about uh, and I'm talking about this uh, conversation about Jake and his brother. What I'm getting at is we find ourselves in the middle of things that have nothing to do with our existence. We find ourselves in the middle of other people's drama, trauma, uh, situations, uh, struggles, circumstances, uh, always coming to the rescue, always coming to the aid, always trying to find a solution. And then, and, and let me tell you from my own personal experience, and sometimes when I didn't have a solution, I felt guilty and would try to find one even to my own, my own inconvenience. I told y'all that I think I may have mentioned it last week. Maybe I didn't. But my mom taught me this principle that I really, really love that if you can't afford to give it, you can't afford to lend it. Why is that so important to me? Uh, It's important to me because in my life, I have lent what I needed for my sustainability. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about my time, my effort, my energy, my attention, right? My emotions, I've invested that. And so while I am walking this journey, while I'm walking through life and I'm talking about I'm looking to be free, I want to be free, but I can't free myself from other people's business, other people's situations, because I'm still trying to grapple and trying to grasp. It's like I talked about the mother trying to grasp for, for feeling valuable. This is the reason why I make the statement that we have to know that we are free, because when we know that we are free, we take on the uh, we take on the personality. We take on the uh, identity of a person who is free and a person who is free doesn't have to serve anybody. And and, and I don't want to get too much into uh, into Jake and them's business, but but. So. Their family is well off. Let me let me just put it this way. Uh, their father is no longer with us, but uh, uh, well off. And so before the father uh, died, he wanted to uh, he wanted to do his will because I guess he hadn't he hadn't done the will yet. So whatever. So he was doing the will. And so one of the things that he loved about Red was Red could really, really cook. And Red would go on his hunting trips and he'd come back and he, he would keep uh, the meat and stuff that he and he would cook this particular meal that, the, I mean, I'm talking about their father loved it. And it was probably one of the reasons, too. It's probably one of the reasons why he liked them, too, because like, boy, this boy can cook, you know. Um, they, they say, you know, a way to a man's heart through his stomach. So that, that boy found his way to his daddy's heart from cooking. Um, but he could really cook. And so. And so the father was like, yo, I'm I'm about to die. Um, I, I think it's uh, important to note that the, through, you know, because the father had gotten older, uh, you know, probably some health stuff going on internally. I'm not completely sure, but the father uh, couldn't see as well. He, all, he It was technically legally blind. Right. And so the father couldn't see. And so he told um, he told uh, Red, I was like, Red, yo, can you make me some of that stuff? And he said, I'm, I don't know how long I'm going to live and I want to go ahead and read this will to you, read this will, and then I'm going to give it to you. Well, um, uh, 
the mother, remember I told you the mother liked Jake, so she loved Jake. Uh, and so she overheard him saying this to uh, Red. And so, of course, if you have control of, of Jake and you can get Jake written, you can get the will signed over to him. Then if you can get the, the will signed over to him, then you'll have not just control of Jake, but over the estate that maybe you didn't have a voice in. And so what happened is that she, long story short, she had Jake trick their father into giving him the the entire thing. Well, when Red came back from, you know, cooking the meal and all this stuff, he realized that they had already given it to Jake. And he said, well, well, Pops, you ain't got nothing else. You know, Pops, you ain't got nothing else to give me. You ain't got nothing. I mean, and when he discovered there was nothing else for him to give, because Violet signed everything over, <laughs> signed everything over to Jake. And so when Red found that out, I mean, when I tell you he hated his brother, he hated his brother. And here's the thing. Jake said to his mom, and this is this is what the story, uh, how the story goes, uh, that Jake said to his mother, mom, I don't feel right doing this. Mom, I don't feel right doing this. Like, like I'm trying to have a relation with my brother and you're making it more difficult. And I don't want to. And, and also these are you talking about people who are traditional, religious, like and also I don't want to lie because if I lie, then, you know, that's it for me. God's going to judge me like. And his mom said, well, because I told you to do it, then, you know, I told you to do it. So you're not going to be punished for it. <laughs> you're not going to be punished for it. And so on the strength of his mother, who had been telling them what she thought was best for him all his life. He said, okay, Ma, I got you. I'll do it. So he, he did it. But his brother, who he already had a, maybe a strained relationship with, not only was the relationship strained, now the brother didn't like him at all. And it, let me tell you how much the brother didn't like him. The brother was ready to kill him. Red was ready to kill him. And so because Red was ready to kill him, they knew they had to get Jacob out of that house. Think about this. Jake now has the right to the estate, but he's sent away. So who's in control? Who's in control of it? His mother. She sends him. She sends him away. He ends up, long story short, working for this man who was not paying him what he asked for, what he deserved, what he he was working for this man for a long time, so much so that he was almost like a slave. And the man would not release him for, from his contract. And so long story short, he had to escape the job. He had to like leave the like leave without breaking the contract the right way. And the man came after him. The man came after him. So not only now did he lose his inheritance, he lost relationship with his father. He lost relationship with his brother. And he lost his freedom. Because now he's sitting here working for this man, literally living with this man, working for this man as a slave and still not getting what he's worth. But meanwhile, he has a mother 
who is sitting there with his with his inheritance in her hand. This is what I'm talking about when we get in situations where we insert ourselves into other people's stuff and we navigate our lives controlled by that. We are not able to form relationship in the way that we need to, because when we don't form relationship in the way that we need to, it not only remember I said last week, I mean, the other week, rather, I said the other week that freedom is relational. I said, it's not emotional, it's relational. And the moment that you lose relationship, firstly with yourself, with your divine, your divinity and your divine self, and you lose relationship with people who are assigned to keep you aligned with your divinity, when you lose relationship with them, you lose your freedom. And when you lose your freedom and you lose relationship, you also lose what's coming to you. Some of us are sitting here wondering, well, why can't why I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm doing all the business stuff. I'm, you know, I'm filled. I built all the paperwork, got my LLC. I'm, I'm contacting all the right people. I know all the right people. I have all the tools. I have all the resources, all this stuff. But what's the problem? The problem is at a relationship level. The problem is that you have tainted your relationship with yourself, inserting yourself into other people's business and not necessarily from a negative standpoint or from a standpoint of trying to be valuable when I keep telling you that at the root of who you are is God and if at the root of who you are is God you are all knowing and all valuable and because you are all valuable you don't have to insert yourself into anything think about this Jesus walking by Jesus was walking by and a man was sitting on the side of the road men were sitting on the side of the road crying out for him and he walked past them knowing that they're crying out for him he's about to get involved with that But when Jesus heard that they were so persistent and they cried louder, Jesus stopped in his tracks. He went to them and he was moved by what's called compassion. And let me let let me break down a myth about compassion or empathy or how you care about somebody. See, Jesus dealt with their situations based on what he was able to do. But then after he dealt with the situation, he sent them their way and he went his. And Jesus didn't give them anything that he did not have, or as my mama said, that he could not afford to give them. Because if he couldn't afford to give it to them, he wouldn't have gave it because they would have left them without. Because every single time he encountered stuff like this, we, we even read in the Christian Bible, right? We read about the woman with the issue of blood. He was headed somewhere else. But he was moved by compassion and stopped to deal with her. And then he sent her her way and he went on knowing that he still had what he needed to perform what it is that he needed to do next. I talk about a lot in my business as an identity strategist. What I help people do is I help people to uh, build businesses that are aligned with their identity, aligned with who they are. It's not from the standpoint of I tell you who you are, but I take you on a journey to help you discover who you are. And then you build a business from that. Why? Because if you build a business that's in alignment with who you are, you're not you're not giving people what you need for yourself. You're giving out of your overflow. Um, I gave an example last night. Uh, I'm running a cohort and I start another one uh, next week. I'm running two of them simultaneously. I don't know whose idea that was, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm running a cohort. And last night I was talking about this principle of having what you need for yourself first and then giving out of your overflow. We're, we're taught to lead with others, right? We're taught to lead with others. But what is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Mm-hmm. 
So what do you want from people? Do you want somebody who is not whole to give something that's partial to you? Or do you want somebody to have what they need and give to you out of the overflow of what they what they possess? Right. Why am I making that parallel? Why am I make, having that conversation? Well, I used uh, I had the opportunity to work in web accessibility, right, making things accessible for people with disabilities, things like that. Um, and you learn about accessibility at large doing that kind of work. It's impossible for you to just go web accessibility. You have to talk about accessibility at large. And I gave the example of a ramp, right? A ramp is made for people who are in wheelchairs or maybe people who can't walk upstairs, who are, aren't are able to walk upstairs. But even though it was not built for you, the moment, the day that you feel lazy and you don't feel like walking up the steps, there's a ramp there. It wasn't built for you, but it serves you. Uh, um, the moment that they need to move some furniture in and they got this cart, but you can't take the cart up some stairs. But when there's a ramp, you can just push the cart up the ramp and make the job easier. It wasn't built for that, but it serves that purpose. When I talk about building for yourself and having for yourself and making sure that you have what you need for you and getting out of your overflow, what I'm really talking about is maybe it was built for you to be able to manage in your life. Maybe it's for you to secure your own mask first, but in securing your own mask, guess what? You're providing a way now for other people's masks to be secured. Um, so when I'm talking about this whole scenario with uh, Jake and Red and their mother and their father, see, it's easy to get caught up in the crossfire of other people's trauma. And when finally Jake and his brother made up, and some years had passed. So at this point, his brother was like, yo, squash it. It's cool. I done made a living. I'm good. And they were able to come back together. And this time, it's just them. And so they were able to have a conversation that maybe they wouldn't have been able to have in the presence of their parents. At this point, their dad is not in the picture, so they're not betted against one another. And so when you remove the thing that causes resentment, you can again have relationship and you will realize that the drama, the trauma, the resentment, the anger, the hurt, all that stuff that you've been dealing with all your life wasn't yours in the first place. <laughs> now, check this out. Check this out. Now, Red was mad at him all these years. But before they were born, and this is just for people who believe in like intu intuition, prophecy, all this stuff. This is for those people specifically. There was a prophecy given to their parents before that said that the younger one was going to be the one who was served. Jake came out after after um, Red. So Red was born first and then Jake was born some, some minutes later, which made him the younger one. And there was already a prophecy on the table that Jake, that Jake was going to be the one who held the deed. And so Red is getting mad, but they had this prophecy their whole life. He's getting mad over an inheritance that he knew all along what his in the first place. See, when we find ourselves in situations with people, inserting ourselves, trying to be valuable to people, 
and we're overextending ourselves, getting ourselves all worked up emotionally, not able to complete the tasks that we need to complete for ourselves, not able to function on a day-to-day basis because we're overwhelmed with the concerns and the stuff for other people, and we're not free to live our lives. When we do that, we'll find ourselves grieving over stuff that had nothing to do with us in the first place. Uh, um, I'm going to disclose some information about my life when I was younger, starting at the age of 12, I was sexually abused. I'm talking about this for a reason. For many years, I did not hold the abusers accountable for what they did. And so I carried the guilt of that. And in carrying the guilt of that, I took on the persona of a person who does stuff that's not right. Now, I wasn't doing the same thing they did. I wasn't, but I was promiscuous. Because I took on the identity of somebody who has sexual problems. And I carried that through my life. And even though I'm a person, and I'm very clear about this, I'm a person who can have a relationship with somebody and sex be the farthest thing from my mind. I'm that person. But even though that was my identity, because I inserted myself into somebody else's trauma and carried the guilt of their trauma, carried the responsibility of their actions, I carried the responsibility of their experiences because I carried that. I took on an identity that wasn't mine. And when I found out at the age of 27 that I had been carrying stuff, I had been dealing with stuff, I had been preoccupied with stuff that wasn't mine in the first place. And so what happens when you find yourself in a space where you're dealing with stuff that wasn't yours in the first place, you find yourself operating as somebody that you weren't in the first place. How is it that somebody can act against their better judgment? How is it that somebody can act against what, who they know they are and what they know they are? They can act against it because they have convinced themselves through inserting themselves into other people's stuff that they are and they are a way that they are not. This is why I'm so big on talking about narratives, because there are people who who are walking around with narratives about I'm not able to do this. I'm not able to do that. I'm not this. I'm not that. And I I hate to put my sister on front street, but I have to have to bring her to this the forefront because it's a conversation that my sister's been having for so many years. If my sister was saying, I'm not creative, I'm you and you and Randy are the creative ones. You and because uh, uh, I'm a graphic designer and I write music and I sing. My brother writes and sings and he's creative and my brother builds stuff and makes, you know, makes a table out of uh, pallets and does all kind of weird stuff. And I got all these artistic abilities that are, but I said to my sister a few months ago, I said, I'm tired of you saying that, sis. I said, the reason why I'm tired of you saying that is because you have worked with children for 20 years coming up with creative art projects and creative, uh, even just the, the boards that you put up in your classroom, all this stuff. You've been creating for years, but you've been carrying around the narrative of somebody who is not creative. And so when it came time for you to be creative, you could not be because you were carrying something that wasn't yours in the first place. Hmm. I talked like a whole bunch and I wasn't intending to, but uh, but I, I needed to say that stuff because I needed to understand the gravity of carrying around guilt and shame about stuff that ain't got nothing to do with who you are. See, 
what I love about what I love about the story, whether you're a Christian or not, what I love about the story of Jesus and Jesus going to the cross, right, is that Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross and became sin. But the Bible says that he was without sin. How is it that he became sin, but was without sin? Because he learned how to be empathetic, but not take on the identity of a sinner. See, we as people have to learn how to be empathetic, to be moved with compassion without inserting ourselves. Why? Because it takes away from our liberty. How could in the Christian narrative, it was Jesus who set us free, who the son sets free, is free indeed. It was Jesus who sets us free. If Jesus took on the took on the uh, persona or, 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 the, uh, or, or the personality or the identity of a person who was a sinner or a person who was bound, then there was no way he could set us free. It was him understanding that I, that I needed to be set free, that you needed to be set free. It was him being moved by compassion, but not being moved into an identity that wasn't his, that allowed him as the son to set you free. What am I getting at? There are some people that you can help. There are some people that you can set free. But the reason why you have not been able to set them free, including yourself, but the reason why you have not set them free is because you've been carrying, you've been carrying the responsibility of somebody who's in Jake's position where you feel like you're an indentured servant. You're a slave, a slave to somebody else's opinion, a slave to somebody else's feelings, a slave to somebody else's. You're carrying on this thing of somebody who is bound. But the truth of the matter is that was not yours in the first place. If that person is bound, let them be bound, become freedom, and go back to them and be the example of freedom to them so they can be free. Don't become the victim of their bondage. Become an example of their freedom. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm quiet because you can come on back. Listen, I'm not adding anything to that. I believe that everything has been said unless you have something else in your spirit everything that has been said that needs to be said i do want you though i know you talked a little bit about your business i want you to give everybody your contact information for your business for the ministry if they want to talk to you further about the subject of freedom how they can reach out to you yeah um let, let me say this i used to hesitate talking about that um that whole uh, molestation thing. Let me, let me make it clear that I, I didn't, I did not recognize it as molestation until I was 27. And that happened to me when I was 12. Well, it started happening to me when I was 12. It took me from 12 to 27 to figure out that that wasn't mine. Hmm. See, and now, and this is not what you asked me to do, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, and now that I'm in this space, now that I'm in this space, right, I have held the people accountable for what they've done. And because I've done that, I gave their issues back to them so that I could deal with mine. And the reason that I know that I'm free is because I don't have to take a beat when I talk about it. And I don't feel any type of way when I talk about it. And beyond that, because now I can talk about it from the standpoint of, Yes, that happened to me, but I'm not a victim of it. I was victimized by it, but I'm not a victim of it. And it, I have now, because I have given that back to them, I have moved into the freedom of that area in my life. 
And so no longer am I bound by promiscuity. No, no longer do I have to worry about if I can be friends with somebody without creating an a, a, a inappropriate relationship with them or a sexual relationship. With, like I don't have to worry about that because I have allowed myself to be free in that area simply by giving it back to them. Because all Jake had to do in that moment where his mother wanted him to trick uh, his father, all Jake had to do was say to his mom, no. That's all I had to do. No, mom. No, mom. Uh, I got a video from my uh, sister Tamara earlier about uh, it was this girl on her phone and texting all hard. Talking about the, and the caption said, uh, the first time you tell your parents no. And then she uh, got done texting and picked up a glass and her hand was shaking. See, sometimes you're going to have to say no while your hand is shaking. Sometimes you're going to have to say no while your legs are quivering. Sometimes you're going to have to say no when it doesn't feel good because it could be the, that very no. It could be that very no that sets you free. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I'm just saying that because somebody needs to be set free. Somebody needs to be liberated from carrying stuff that wasn't theirs. And it could be, and it may not be abuse, right? It may not be abuse, but it could be something as simple as carrying somebody else's weight at work. Because you're carrying their weight at work and you can't get your work done because you're carrying their weight, which means that you're giving something away that you can't even, even afford to lend. My business, my business. Come back, Doc, so I don't do this again. My business, my business. Um, yes, my business is called Supernormal by Michael Andrew. Doc, bro, come back, bro. Like, come on. I just want yeah. to go if you got the Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm, this is it. This, I'm talking about my business. My business is called Supernormal by Michael Andrew. I provide uh, identity strategy for business owners who are looking to lead identity aligned businesses. Um, what that means, you can learn more about. Um, you can learn more about by visiting yoursupernormal.com. Yoursupernormal.com. I don't have a full website right now. And that's for intentional reasons. But on there. There's information about two programs that I have. One is called Fresh Identity. Fresh Identity is spelled I-D-E-A-N-I-T-Y, right? Ideanity. Um, and basically, it's helping people take their ideas and turn them into identity-aligned businesses. Then I have what's called Supernormal Sessions, which is a cohort that I talked about uh, earlier. And that cohort um, is a six-week program where I walk people through the framework. The framework that I use is called... Uh, uh, mentality, manageability, and momentum, and it helps you to create a plan to keep your business aligned, keep your to manage your business, and to reach goals. Um, so you can learn about those two programs there. Unfortunately, I'm not accepting uh, people into either of those programs. But if you decide that you want to talk to me further about my business or my services, you can email me at michael at yoursupernormal.com. Again, that's michael at yoursupernormal.com. Um, uh, you want me to talk about the Reform. Uh, I lead a faith community that um, Dr. Petty John is very much a part of. Uh, uh, that, that's that's his church. <laughs> that's his church. I lead a faith community. is It's called the Reform. Uh, we aid people in rediscovering their divine identities. Uh, we our tagline, if you will, is "Become You Again," um, and we meet. Uh, uh, three times a month, twice in what we call BFF sessions. Uh, BFF sessions are believer-friendly forum sessions. And then we have reform worship once a month where we come together and we usually have a speaker and we have uh, music and things like that. So uh, you can find more about the reform at thereform.com. It's T-H-E-R-E 
F-O-R-U-M.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-F-O-R-U-M.com, the reform.com. Um, let me say this before you uh, take the mic back, um, that I appreciate you uh, having me on this platform. I appreciate you allowing me to come into this world. Um, I, I'm so inspired by the way uh, you were taking that break. You were, you know, really handling some things. And when you knew it was time, you didn't delay. You didn't wait. You went to it. Um, you came here and we talked. And I said, you know, you're going to have to do this X in, in X place, right? You know, you're going to have to do this, that, and the other. And even though you didn't necessarily like the way it felt, felt rather felt, <laughs> felt uh, you did not allow your feelings to get in the way of that word, of that advice, that inspiration, that information setting you free. Because what it did is set you free. Because what we discovered in that conversation, and, and, I, and I'm just saying this, what we discovered in that conversation is that that was stuff that you already knew. This is why I love talking about, I love talking about, like, I don't have anything to give anybody. Why? Because everything that you need to know is already in you, and I can just open up a dimension that will connect you to the truth of that thing. And what I loved about that whole scenario is that you already knew that. And so you liberated yourself to trust yourself again. And you and I have had the conversation in very various different ways. But what I want to say about you before we go tonight and what I want everybody to understand about the voice that you are, especially those who are in and excuse me, uh, excuse me while I prophesy for just a minute. While just, uh, and especially those people who know they're assigned to you, but are afraid to be seen with you. And I have to say this. There's some people right now who need your voice, but because of their prejudices, because of their belief systems, because of their fear, because of them being holding on to a previous paradigm. They say, I ain't with that no more. But they still live in their lives by it. Those people see those people. There's some people like that who are assigned to you, who are assigned to be blessed by you and to be a blessing to you. And they have not been obeying God concerning you. They have not been obeying what they know concerning you. And let me prophesy to you. And that by the end of March, you will see people show up. By the end of March, you will see people show up who would not be seen with you. See, because it's going to get to a point where they want so desperately to be free and they need so desperately to be free that they're going to reach out to you for the last result to realize that in the first place they should have came to you. And they're going to realize that the stuff they've been carrying, the stuff they've been believing, the stuff they've been feeling guilty about wasn't theirs in the first place. Because all you're here to do is set people free. And so I want to say that to you to let you know that openly that I am proud to say that you are somebody who I personally trust, but you're somebody who can be trusted because God trusts you. Um. Go ahead and cry. Let God have his question. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to cry when we get off of here. One thing about me, I'm going to cry when people can't see, huh? <laughs> Listen, before I say what you I turn say, red, boy, you turn <laughs> red, bright red. <laughs> Listen, uh, man. Also, is... people, we are friends, so we're gonna be petty. Yeah. One thing about us, we're gonna be petty. Anyway, oh, no doubt, no doubt. Listen, we're back here next month. We're gonna be on a Sunday, not Wednesdays, on Sundays, uh, the 11th and the 25th. We're gonna be talking about the power of oh, the now. The Sabbath, huh? Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> We have Antoine Wallace with us from Atlanta, Georgia. He's gonna, he's been doing a series on that in his 
Uh, he calls it Win Wednesday. So we got him next month. So I want you to prepare yourself for that. It will be at 730. I will be getting all that information out to you. Listen, Michael, what can I say, man? I just have to say thank you. I really do. I, I thank you, not just for what you came and did, but just thank you for who you are and who you continue to be. I thank God for you. You know, I really thank God for you. Likewise. And definitely excited about everything that's going on at the Reform and everything that's just going on even in your life. Listen, y'all, if you need direction for business, make sure you are you hit this man up. I'm in the cohort that's about to start. Listen, that's on Pion Grande. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling y'all, hit him up now. You sitting, you got your questions, you seeking direction, all of that stuff. Just hit the man up. It's that simple, okay? Yeah. Each and every one of you, I appreciate you. I thank God for you. I'm excited. And if there's a takeaway from tonight, I want you to go back and listen to this. And I want you to share this with everybody. Do you hear what I'm saying? Share it with everybody. Even the people that you know and say, I don't want to hear that. Play it around them. Play it while they're asleep. Just let them hear and experience this because this is what freedom is. And the takeaway that I got from this, you just said it. You said, give it back to them. Yes. Give everything back to everybody that is not yours. All right. As I always say, create a great day, walk in purpose, and by all means, execute your vision. Peace. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch promote and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major platform directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over a hundred thousand podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes and more. So start your show today by using the link provided in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, and it gives you an opportunity to receive a $20 Amazon gift card, as well as it helps support our show.